Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Call to Love experience. I'm so glad you're here. I am Jasmine Bellamy, your host and founder of Love 101 Ministries. I am a love practitioner, a minister, and a joyful disruptor with a redemptive imagination. The Call to Love experience is an invitation to join us on a spiritual journey as we examine the theology and cultivate the practice of love. This is the season two premiere of the Love Practitioners series. In every episode, we'll be creating space for and amplifying the voices of love practitioners from various contexts. Thank you for joining us. There are three parts to the Call to Love experience. Listen, engage, reflect. We'll begin with a communal reading of tonight's Centering Scripture. Consider this an invitation to rest in God and reflect upon the scriptures together. Ruth Haley Barton reminds us that the scriptures are indeed alive and active. We desire to create space for a two-way conversation in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Tonight's live conversation offers us a unique opportunity to engage the theology of love. It's an invitation to listen to the dialogue, become aware of what rises up in our hearts, and expand our understanding as we learn from each other. We encourage you to join along in the chat with your questions, emojis, or even an amen when something resonates with you. This is a communal practice, our sacred space that we are co-creating together. We will end with reflection and introspection. We'll take a moment to pause, to discern God's presence today, and notice the invitations for our spiritual growth, the invitations to become more like love. Before we begin, I wanna send some love to my sis, Reverend Candace Green, our co-producer, holding us down behind the scenes. And secondly, the Love 101 Ministries community lost one of our biggest supporters. Elise Finch, who passed away suddenly on July 16th. We are grateful for her loving support and encouragement since our founding in 2018. And we dedicate this season to her memory. I am delighted to welcome tonight's guest. Ashley Abercrombie is a writer, a speaker, an author of Love is the Resistance and the Rise of the Truth Teller, and she holds space in a beautiful community on Substack called After Hours. She is a wife, a mom, a plant lover, and a former co-pastor who I am blessed to call my friend and tattoo consultant. Welcome, Ashley. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm so, so, so glad to be with you. I feel like this is a continuation of our conversation back in July um, for After Hours. And so I'm so glad that you joined us here at the Call to Love Experience. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I love you very Thank much. You. I love you, beautiful friend. <laughs> All right. So now that Ashley has joined us, we are going to begin our communal practice. Beloved, breathe. Make space. Take up space. Mm -hmm. To be here now. Let's clear our minds, settle ourselves, and listen. In community, together in the presence of the Holy Spirit, let's approach the scripture open and present, longing to receive from God. Tonight's centering scripture is Philippians 1, 9 through 11, the message translation I'll begin with. And then Ashley, I'll invite you to follow with the reading the second time. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary a life Jesus will be proud of. Mm. Bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Mm. Mine is the new international version, the NIV. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God, who is love, mm. incarnate your love through us. Open our eyes that we might see. Give us ears to courageously listen. Soften our hardened hearts and stir our spirits. We might perceive and receive your truth. I pray over this communal conversation. May it be a blessing to every person who engages in this experience. Yes. May it be an invitation to rest mm. in community 
in your presence. May we remain in your love so together we flourish. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. <laughs> right? Like my eyes are full already. Same. Beginning. Same. So I, I love to start and with this first question, Ashley, and it's really to help all of us think about what we just heard, what we sensed, what stood out to us. So what came up for you as you listened to this scripture tonight? What word or phrase stood out to you? Or maybe even what questions arose for you as you heard the text today? Mm -hmm. I think what really stands out is lover's life. Yes. Those two words and what it means to live a life of love. And I think about a lover's life being so full of um, vitality and energy mm -hmm. and um, capacity for being present and being um, with like a lover's life. I think about when people are engaged in love, whether it's friendship or it's a romantic relationship um, or it's a passion project, like the way that they're connected feels so alive. And that's yeah. what, what I thought of. Um, yeah. And then my question was how often am I missing the opportunity to live a lover's life because I'm distracted or I'm worried about what people think, or I am thinking about something in the past, or I'm ruminating on something that is not um, giving energy to the moment that I'm in that might even be robbing me from connection in the moment that I'm in. And um, that's the question that arose for me was how often am I missing living a lover's life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember. So I'm, so I'm most familiar with the mm -hmm. NIV. So I love that that was the, the translation you read. And so I like I fell in love with that scripture or that passage from the NIV. Mm -hmm. And so when, when the message translation came to me, a lover's life came to me. Like I was like, oh, <laughs> like I remember just what that felt like mm -hmm. um, because it is a lifestyle. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a posture for living. It's not just something I do. It right. is it's who I be, right. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so I, I did, um, those words definitely, definitely, um, stood out to me, um, in this particular one. But I love mm -hmm. what you added, um, about what you, the, the question about how many times am I not living a lover's life. And I think that's the beauty of when we end in introspection and reflection, we can think about today alone, when might we have missed it? Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I am in this season of grief. But so mm. the, the things that those moments can be grieved. Yeah. You know, um, and, and to your point about when we are living the lover's life, it is those, it's the beautiful memories that, that are here, that are living, 
you know, um, you know, I, I mentioned that this this episode is dedicated to Elise, and I think about how, like, her memory is so with me in my heart because I was present, right? I was present and engaged and aware and listening yeah. and attentive, and so her love remains. Yeah, you know, and so that that is the beauty of the lover's life and not getting so caught up in the doing. Totally. Really the being. Um, and, I, and I do agree with you though, that we often think that this is saved for some romantic space mm -hmm. or just our familiar context or just our kids or our parents or whatever but a lover's life speaks to every space we move through yes right and yeah. so that's the thing that when i anytime i'm in a speaking engagement that is my invitation at the end mm. how can you be love in your context right living a lover's life is exactly that Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Oh my goodness. It's the beautiful. And what you said too about grief um, just made me think about like as soon as you were talking about that. And I'm so sorry that you and this community have lost Elise. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about what it means to be alive in grief. Mm -hmm. And even that is, it takes such courage and such capacity to love to be alive in your grief and to, yeah. to welcome it and to yeah. accept it and to um, lean into it rather than numb it or run away from it or try to busy yourself out of it. Yeah. I think it takes great courage to, and a, a great capacity to be present in order to be alive in your grief. But that that's the point of a lover's life is that it's not just the exciting mountaintop moments and the best things that ever happened to us. It's the capacity to be alive and present in every kind of circumstance, because that is the gift of life that we are here and we are yeah. present. And after all that we have gone through, we are standing still. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I shared this quote um, recently that what is leaf, what is grief, but love persevering. Oh, yes. And, right. And that's, that is what it is from, it's a beautiful quote from WandaVision. And it, I just, that's what has been propelling me through this season. Um, but it is a part of a lover's life. Yes, it is. I mean, the other piece I would say that um, is so connected to your book mm -hmm. is that it states that we have to learn <laughs> love. Yes. And so before I, I ask you about that, that idea of learning about mm -hmm. love, I do just want to share a few things to give some context to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, I want to give the full title of the book. First of all, Love is the Resistance. Anyone who writes a book that is named Love is the Resistance is a love practitioner. Let's just start <laughs> with that. Thank you. So I'm so glad that you are our, our guest kicking off this whole love practitioner series. And I, I do want to say one thing. I had a meeting with my spiritual director mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months back. And I was talking about the fact that I'm so um, I'm now at this space where I'm so intentional about the community that I'm building. Mm -hmm. And she asked me the question, well, where do love practitioners gather? Mm -hmm. and I was like, that's a great question because yes. I want to go there. And then as I sat with that, 
the Holy Spirit was like, they gather on the, the call to love experience. I was like, you're right. <laughs> so I couldn't have thought of a, a better um, first episode for this series other mm -hmm. than you. So thank you so much for being here to kick this off with us. But the full title of the book, Love is the Resistance, Learn to Disagree, Resolve the Conflicts You've Been Avoiding, and Create Real change. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think that's a powerful, powerful title. Mm -hmm. But I want to kind of start um, opening up the conversation, even with your beautiful dedication. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's dedicated to the beloved community of Christ, mm -hmm. full of people I love and people who drive me to the brink of insanity. <laughs> Thank you for making me more like Jesus. I mean, so when I read that, first of all, I chuckled because it is so you. <laughs> I hear you saying it. Um, but it also made me think of something my friend Stephen Harris says, and that sanctification is a community project. Mm. You know, I, that idea that you don't, we don't get to learn about love off in some corner by ourselves, mm -hmm. but it is done in community and we become more like Christ together. Mm -hmm. So um, I just wanted to, to start with that. Um, but you say this in the introduction, not to be skipped, <laughs> that you want this book, book to compel you to lean into love, but also equip you to actually do it. Yeah. Say more about that. <laughs> Say more about that. I think that... The practice of love is not something that you can do inside of your head. And I don't think that wisdom becomes wisdom unless knowledge is applied. Mm -hmm. And so you have to learn about love and you have to have some understanding about it, but you can't just talk about it. You have to do it and you have to do it in the context where it feels hard. And I'm not talking about situations where you might be experiencing um, some toxicity or abuse. Like I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about caring about a coworker that makes you crazy. I'm talking about dealing with a difficult family member that you don't have to go non-contact with, that you're going to keep seeing, but they're hard. Like this is the work of love. And as you do it, you are refined and you become a person who's able to do what we're talking about tonight. Like you can suspend judgment. You can be with people. You realize that who they are is separate from who you are. And you don't have to take every little thing so personally. And every little thing doesn't have to be about you when they don't do what you think they should do. And so I think it's important not just to learn about love, but to find places where you can practice it and to challenge yourself outside of the easy bubble of people who just really like you <laughs> and people you just really get along with. You know, that's that is a part of the work of love. You have to have that to feel whole, to feel connected, to feel like you've got deep roots somewhere. You need those relationships, but you also have to practice it in places where it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the work of love. Yes. And um, I mean, our mantra here is love is a practice. What yes. we practice, we become. There it is. And, and it's interesting. I was, I was uh, mm. meeting with a mentee today. And one of the things that I was explaining to her in the practice, I said, when you think about, and this is what actually Cindy Lee talked about when she was on the episode, the, the, the cyclical patterns mm. come around. But when things come around again, if we are practicing, if we are stretching our muscles, 
we are getting stronger. So we are not the same person. Yes. Next time it comes around. So to your point, we've applied it. And so now we've gained wisdom. So when it comes back around again, we've become even more skilled. And to your point, we move from the place where we're completely irritated to the point mm -hmm. where we know it's not about us. Yeah, that's it. We can give them grace. Yes. And, and not only can we give them grace, we're completely unbothered, right? But it, <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes practice. It takes practice. We don't get there on the first shot. No, we do not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> right. Right. And so I think I, I love that, that you start out like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I love that you made, you know, speaking of like as a great love practitioner, you gave us a book with tools. Yeah. So you offer four tools and I actually would argue five, but an attitude to adopt, a personal affirmation, a reflection question, and a, a technique for engaging in conflict and communication with others mm -hmm. and a discussion guide. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so tell us why that was important to you. Yeah, I think that, you know, very often we can be readers and consumers. Um, you know, we, we love social media. We love to, to read quick words and even the books that we can take in. We very often don't take time to reflect about what they mean and how they can be applied. And I think there is a lot of Inner, inner talk and inner dialogue that is negative and having things like personal affirmation, something that's positive about you, something you can speak out loud about yourself and about your practice of love and having takeaways, things that you can think about, things you can reflect on and having actual techniques that you're able to put into practice or at least think about. Maybe, maybe they don't go exactly the way I've suggested, but you can think about how could I work this out in a relationship that feels challenging for me? How could I work this out in a relationship where I really love this Person. I want to maintain the kind of connection that we have. What would it take for me to continue to love them this way? So I think it's important for us to have those so that we can take time at the end of each chapter to reflect and really think about um, our practice of love. Because if you don't think about it, it gets harder and harder to do. We are busy people. Our calendars are very full. <laughs> you know, It gets harder to take time to reflect and to be, which is why I love what you do here. Because you open with an invitation to be still, with an invitation to listen, with an invitation to shut out the worries, the concerns, the hurries, the calendars, the deadlines, the projects, we shut it out and we get still. And I think that in and of itself creates room for us yeah. to love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I love from a, the discussion guide piece that you intend that for like communal conversation. Mm -hmm. So our book clubs or what have you, so that we're doing together. And what you also do so beautifully is, is you, you are normalizing that there are difficult things and yes. normalizing that we can actually go through them. And yes. I think with love. And I think that's also really beautiful that you can find yourself in many of these questions or thoughts because you've experienced them before. Yes. Um, and so I feel like you're also kind of coaching us um, through those, those prickly moments as well. Um, so I love that. I do love that. So your first chapter is about learning to love. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just feel like I want to give you runway to even say <laughs> why you felt it was important to begin a book that 
way. Mm -hmm. So I, I really love this quote from Mike Foster and I put it in the book as well, but he says, we learn love from people who do not love us. And to me, reading that just pierced me because you realize how much love you inherit that you think is normal or you think is connection or you think is some sort of attachment. And then you have to unlearn those ways of being. You have to unlearn the self-protection that you might have had to use to survive growing up. You have to unlearn the idea that you are not valuable or worthy of love. You have to unlearn the idea that, you know, you, you were not created for connection, that it's better for you to do it all by yourself, that you'd be better off if you just did everything on your own in isolation. You have to unlearn all of that because you realize that your need for connection and your um, intention for meaningful reciprocal relationship, you have to heal and unlearn things first before you can really learn to love. And you, you do them in tandem, of course, because you need love at the same time you're unlearning the bad love that you might've received. You're doing it all in tandem, but it's important that we learn that or otherwise we won't be able to engage with people. We won't learn what it means to trust after you've been betrayed, what it means to love again after you've been hurt or harmed, what it means to trust a friend again if you experienced mean girls for most of your you know, high school or young adult or even regular adult professional life. You, know? <laughs> you have to unlearn all of these things. And it was important to name that. And I'm, I've been in recovery for 20 years from so many things, you know, addiction, abuse of alcohol, um, perfectionism, a crippling perfectionism that kept me from pursuing my dreams that was always um, causing me to self-sabotage. Like all of these things over 20 years, I've had to really work them out. Like this is not something that I say casually mm -hmm. that you need to unlearn things and relearn them. I'm saying that as a person who's had to practice it in order to be whole and someone who's had to practice it in order to get close to people. And that is actually what brought me healing is getting close to people again. And I remember being I had just moved to Los Angeles from North Carolina when I was 21 years old. So this is like 22 years ago. And I remember a friend of mine who was a new friend really taught me what it means to love people unconditionally and what it means to come close, even when your boundaries and your guard is up. And I had gone with her to like a meeting and afterwards she called me and said, Hey, how are you doing? And I was just like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> and I started, I flipped it, which used to be my tendency in relationship. And I began to ask her question after question so that I wouldn't have to talk about myself and I wouldn't have to respond to her questions about me. And she was picking up precisely none of what I was putting down. She was not buying my bull crap. She was like, absolutely not. She hung up the phone with me. And 10 minutes later, there was a knock on my door in Hollywood and she was standing there. And it was one of those friend moments where you take a risk that you know is going to pay off. And I crumbled in the floor and started sobbing. And she got down in the floor with me and just sat there with me. She felt my pain. She was so empathetic. She began to cry with me, to weep with me. Even, she, even though she didn't even know yet what was going on, she could sense what was happening in my heart and what was happening in the room. And she didn't try to save me, fix me, advise me, recommend the next four podcasts and the next three steps that I should take. You know, She just was with me. Yeah. And that helped me unlearn that I didn't need to have it all together in order to be loved. And that helped me unlearn that I needed to put my guard up when I felt bad about myself so that other people, so that friends wouldn't see what was really going on inside of me. She taught me 
how to love. And she taught me how to unlearn the things that I had been taught about self-protection and the way of being in the world and um, keeping reciprocal relationships away from me because you never know how you're going to get hurt. So you should just be the caretaker. You should just be the one with all the advice. You should be the one who, you know, has all the, all the goods and nobody else can serve you, help you, love you. And she helped me unlearn that by a simple action. And so that's why this kind of rhythm of unlearning and relearning is so important to me in love. And I don't think it ever ends. It's so important to me in recovery. I'm still unlearning things that are not helpful for me in relationship and connection, you know, and I think I might be doing that till I die. And that I think is the work of love. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so many moments that if there was like flames, I could drop <laughs> into the live, I would. Um, so good. And you know, one of the things I adore about you is just your your honesty in your story. Because mm -hmm. um, again, I feel like it becomes an invitation for people to not hide. Yeah. Um, I posted something today about love is greater than shame, right? Yeah. And that shame basically fizzles away when there's a safe space yeah. to be able to have real conversation. And that's what you and your friend um, demonstrated. Yeah. I think you know, to your point, I, I, I learned unconditional, uh, unconditional love very late in life, really. Yeah. At, the, at the same time the ministry was born, I was learning it. Mm -hmm. And it, it was one of those beautiful experiences. For me, I had to unlearn being a fixer. I had mm -hmm. to unlearn being the, the person who just does, 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 and everything is, my value is based on all the things I do and contribute and handle and all of those things. Um, it, it is it is a process to not feel like to carry the weight of codependency and oh. and solving everybody else's problems and in and making sure everybody is okay. Those are all things to unlearn. And what I what I love about what you said too is the beauty is we don't realize that that's not love. Half the right. time. Preach. We don't realize it. And so the whole yeah. point of learning yeah. is to really get to the place of what actually is love and what is unconditional love look like. And 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 it, your friend demonstrated it for you. My dear friend, when I went to the flower farm last week that I wrote about, just held space for me, wasn't trying to solve my problem, but just shared with me in the grief because she knew grief too, you know, just yeah. that, that ability to be able to show up is, is exactly as you are mm -hmm. without a mask firmly placed on you that, that ain't real, right? That, 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 but truth, love, those things go together, right? It's like mm -hmm. all the things that we have to learn. There's so much manipulation that is not love, but that is masquerades as love. Yes. Talk about it. And it's, you know, this, I thought that love, and you know, sometimes I still struggle with the the lines of this and I'm better at it now that I'm in my forties, but I think it was only like right when I was hitting my forties that I really understood it. But I actually thought love was always connected to power in, um, in a, in a way that it's not supposed to be like that. You have to figure out how to have the most power or how to be subservient to the most powerful. And that sort of is this love dance that I thought we all had to do because it's just part of being human. And I think as I've aged, I've realized, no, <laughs> it isn't a love isn't a power dance. You know, it's it's a mutual 
mutual thing. Like we do this mutual edification. We do this mutual service. We do this mutual connection and you're not trying to one up each other and you're not trying to figure out how you can be beneath so that you can be loved and how you can serve so that you can be loved and how you can help so that you can be loved and how you can earn your spot so that you can be loved. Like you have to figure out that love is powerful and it's transformative, but it's not a power struggle. Like, and when you're in that, it's important to recognize what's happening so that you cannot play that game. And sometimes I would notice myself doing it even without thinking about it because mm -hmm. those triggers are there and you just get in this natural rhythm with people and learning how to disrupt that and learning how to let it go. And, and what you said, how to get to the place where you're unbothered about it. <laughs> like, I don't need to do that dance. No, no. I don't need it. <laughs> and I know we're going to, I'm, I'm going to make sure we come back to that point um, because I, I know you talk about it. Um, in chapter 11 as well. Um, I want to put a pin in that only because I want to really lean into a conversation that we've really not had on the call mm -hmm. to love yet um, that I know so many of us desperately, desperately need. And it's um, how love and forgiveness and repentance yeah. are in conversation with each other. And you do so, so beautifully in the book. Um, that I really wanted to be able to give some space to that. Um, I know, you know, oftentimes the forgiveness piece can be used as a weapon. Yes. And we are often um, whipping people into shape to force them to forgive someone um, without going through their own healing yeah. process or giving them space to even name what has happened to them or harmed them. So I, I wanna give you some space just to really speak um, to that part of the book, the book that you do so beautifully, because I just know that there are so many people who desperately need to hear that. Yeah, this became so important to me. You know, it, it's related to this power sort of love struggle because what I realized is sometimes the most powerful person in the community can expect people to to trust them to always respond to them in a way that is forgiving and loving that they can make a mistake and then they can still do whatever they want without really changing without really growing without going through a process of transformation and so they expect to keep the relationships that they have without their own personal transformation but they expect everyone else around them to change for them and I just got so sick of seeing it. And so in this particular chapter, I wrote about woe to the offender. And it was actually my dear friend, Selena, who we began a conversation about this because we had both experienced some some harm and some hurt in, in uh, faith-based spaces. And so just what it meant for us to constantly have to be the one forgiving and for us to constantly have to be the one to, to let go and to move on and to still be in that space, even though that space wasn't necessarily built for us, safe for us. And we were doing all of our work while no one else was doing their work <laughs> and you leave those situations worse than you than you were in them because you you did all the work to help everybody else get better and then you leave and realize like I'm not, I'm unwell yeah. and some some public examples of this, you know, whether it's the shooting that happened at an, at an Amish school or the many times that non-white communities have to do this sort of forgiveness publicly when a family member is shot and killed and they feel this pressure and the community puts pressure on them to stand up and offer forgiveness to the killer in a very short period of time. And I'm not saying that it's not sincere, that there are some people who that feels right and feels good for them. I'm just saying there's such a rush 
from the world and from culture and from white people for people mm -hmm. to go ahead and forgive and let go and make amends and, and let it go. And I'm saying, no, the Bible says, yes, we need to forgive seven times 70. Of course. The Bible also says, woe to the offender. Jesus mm -hmm. is talking about the one who did the hurt, who did the harm. And he says it would be better for them, actually, if they had a millstone thrown around their neck and thrown into the ocean than if they caused one of these little ones to stumble. And yeah. so woe to the offender is such a powerful you know, opportunity for people who have been hurt and harmed to say, wait a minute. Yes, yes, yes. The Lord does talk about forgiveness, but he also talks about you making things right and you making a change and you making amends to the community. And you know, yeah. you, you, you can't heal what you do not face. And you cannot be in relationship with people who won't repent, who will not change, who have no desire to get better. You can't be close to those people. They cannot be trusted. And for whatever reason, if they don't do their own work, then you cannot continue to surrender your gifts, your talents, your time, your energy, your heart, your mind to people who do not know what to do with it and will continue the cycles of hurt and harm. And so it felt very important, even as you know, we read earlier, like this feeling like a love letter to the church to say, hey, we are we're out of balance on this one. We're way out of balance. And people in power need to take responsibility for their side of the fence and for the things that they have done wrong and create a mutually reciprocal, beautiful community of transformation because we are all human. <laughs> we are all down here struggling, okay? <laughs> like Nobody's perfect and everybody has to make amends and has to make change and has to do their own work for personal transformation. And so this yeah. feels like an important thing to do now. Yeah, I, I love that you, you focus on the offender in terms of the invitation there for the transformative work. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting when I think about, you know, the, my own harm that I've experienced, the oftentimes you have to do that forgiveness work on your own Yes, it's without painful. the offender present, because the uh, the offender has taken no accountability, mm. and and so there are times that that work is done that way, and yeah. and what I've, you know, for me, luckily have learned I don't need an apology to heal myself, right? Um, but to your point, though, it when when bad behavior continues to go unchecked, mm -hmm. it changes the quality of our communities. There it is. You said that I, so well. Oh my so God. Particularly sacred communities yes. or those that ought to be. Yeah. They claim they're dedicated to. So, but when we won't practice accountability, anarchy is what ends up happening. Yes. Right. And and that, I think, is what is the, the really challenging nature of it and what is so required in this work of repentance is humility. Yes. And and if if the power piece, the ego, the the, the narcissistic behave, all of those things prevent us from practicing humility. Yeah. Then we think we're above having to apologize. This. 
I think this is so important. You know, something my husband and I say in our marriage often, and I and I say this in my recovery journey as well. And I always say I'm one decision away from stupid. Like I am not above making a choice that could change the trajectory of my life, of my relationships, of my marriage. I'm not above being so prideful that I can't see straight. I am not above hurting or harming others. Like to, to acknowledge that and let it be true is not an indictment on my value or my character. It just means that I'm connected to my humanity. And it means that I'm connected to the responsibility that I have to think about the fact that I could go off the rails, given any any set of circumstances that feels tough. And that is actually what's kept me sober. And that mm -hmm. is what's actually kept me sane, is acknowledging my humanity. And I think sometimes people who are in positions where they don't want to do what you're talking about, they struggle to acknowledge their humanity because they don't want to admit that we are all this mixed bag of good and bad. That nobody's all the way good and perfect and nobody's all the way bad. And I think the journey of love is sort of landing in the center where you're like, man, some days I'm really great. <laughs> and I love who I am in the world. And you know what? Some days I'm really not. And I yell at my kids and I talk to people sharply. And I realize that I have bad thoughts about myself that I engage in and ruminate on. And that, that's also a part of my humanity and coming to the center of it creates a humility where you realize I'm capable of both. God, help me walk this humble line in the middle. Help me to acknowledge Ooh. you. Help me to understand that I have strength and that I need to use it to benefit others and not to hurt them. And God, help me make amends when I make mistakes. Help me be a person who can say sorry quickly. Help me be a person who can come to people when I've done something or when I when they've done something. Help me be open-handed in communication. Help me acknowledge when things change. Like There's so much that can keep us humble. And it doesn't mean that we're weak. Like that actually takes so much more strength than trying to bury it. <laughs> well, it's, it's so funny. You, when I was, I, I, this is like literally my own reflection process this week. I remember <laughs> thinking about um, like, you know, if you have the conversation with the person who offended you or who harmed you, I was thinking of like, literally it was like, well, you'd speak from the eye and you'd, you know, you'd amplify the harm that was caused to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you wouldn't be judgmental. You'd be speaking from what happened to you and, and what your felt experience was and all. And I was thinking all that. And then later as I sat in it, it's like, you don't have nothing to say. It's the, <laughs> it's the offender got something to say. <laughs> you actually need to be silent. And I was like, you know what you're right. <laughs> right? Because Whoa. it's, it's, and I, I wrote years ago and I, and I still remember apology starts with I, not if. Right. I, I harmed you, not yeah. if I harmed you. Yeah. And, 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 but it's, it's, it's that beauty of what you talked about. Like if I know I can be both of those things and be on either side of the balance at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. Then I have the humility to be able to, to, I'm not above it. Right. I'm not above the causing of harm. Right. And, and honestly, it, it, when I think about what you then bring into the book, when, and I remember you, I feel like you're the first person who really dug into Romans 14 and it's, mm -hmm. it's been a scripture that I have been sitting with for years. Yeah. And it's specifically the piece for me is that part of, if we are causing distress. Yes, come on. 
someone that yeah. we are not acting in love. And I know when that kind of hit me, yeah. I was like, oh, whoa, I am now becoming the offender because I'm causing somebody else distress. Yes. And I think that, you know, this whole thing of accountability, mm. the beauty of why we do reflection at the end of this mm. is so that we can look at ourselves. Yeah. Not to beat up ourselves to your point to say, I suck at this. Right. But to be able to just be with whatever it is. Yeah. And, 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 and also be clear, God's not scared of it. Right. Hello. I mean, <laughs> he made the humans. <laughs> creator of all things kind of knows what's happening here. Yes. And so instead coming with a, this is, this is what, this is what's on my heart. This is what's happening. This is what's rising up and yeah. getting help with it. Yes. Yes. But that, I, I remember the first time I read that and it's like, oh wait, I'm causing this person distress because of a power struggle. Right. Because yes. I think I'm smarter. Yeah. And I'm bringing my wisdom to the conversation, which really wasn't wisdom because I wasn't sensitive to the fact that it was making someone distressed. And I feel like the scriptures oftentimes get so caught up in the fact that it's talking about eating. Yeah. Right. You can't get past what it's actually saying. That's right. But I actually, I want to, um, I'm going to pull it up because there were just a few lines that I even wanted to, um, to focus on. Romans 14, okay. 10 through 18 is one of the portions, but you do a beautiful job of lay, um, laying it out in the book. Um, and so these are the words that were like the highlights for me or the bold print for me. Mm -hmm. One, so why do you condemn another believer? I mean, well, we do that all day long, right? All the time. And then, so let's stop condemning each other decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Yeah. You know, and if another believer is distressed, you are not acting in love. And don't let your eating in this example ruin someone for whom Christ died. Like that is just, that is like pure accountability language right it is and i and we we look for scriptures that make us feel good yeah versus looking to scripture for instructions for this work of love yes and i will tell you for me um i mean even again this week and and in going through my own you know seasons of repentance on harm that i may have caused people it just really hit me again, you know, mm -hmm. like I might've been free to do whatever, mm -hmm. but that, if that freedom caused another one distressed, mm -hmm. I'm not acting about Yeah, it is hard and painful. Like these are the, you know, sobering scriptures of the Bible that we desperately need. You know, I think every, every time we look at a hero of the Bible. We all think we're Moses, you know, but we might be more like Pharaoh. You know what I mean? Like you have to really like read scripture in its context and think about yourself and yours. Yes. And, you know, we're not, we're not always the hero and we do need to understand. And I think it is so easy to judge others. It's so easy 
for you to compare your lifestyle to theirs, the way you vote, the way you believe, the way you think about things, the way you exist in relationships and to measure yourself against someone else and decide who is doing it right or wrong or who is doing it better or worse. And I think this scripture really helps us you know, internalize that that actually isn't honorable to God because that isn't his measuring stick. And I think about when I first as an adult made the decision to um, walk in love with the Lord, like I'm so glad that I was not surrounded by people who were measuring me by their stick. I'm so glad that they gave me space to be the mess that I was and to take one small step at a time. Like I'm gonna quit cigarettes this month, you know, like maybe next month I'll stop doing drugs. You know, like I'm still, I'm in the church, I'm visiting Bible studies, I'm hanging out, I'm coming hung over, you know, like, and people didn't put their measuring stick next to me and say, you know what? It's not good for a Christian to be in church doing these things. You know, that didn't, they didn't do that. They walked with me in love. And I think this scripture is really about that, where it's like God actually has the standard and yeah. he understands our needs and he is intimately acquainted with our context and our history and our past and our journey. And so he knows how hard it is for a person to make the next right step for them. And he knows what yeah for them. And so if we are able to go, you know, that person doesn't have weak faith because they are, you know, not eating this certain thing or because they believe this or, or because they believe that, you know, you have to set yourself aside and remember, I love what it says here that the, the Lord makes his servant stand. Like he is able to make them stand, not you. <laughs> he determines whether they fall or whether they stand. And it says he is able to make them stand. And so no matter what you think about them, no matter how you judge them, no matter how other people judge you and your walk and your journey, the Lord is able to make you stand. And I think that it's really powerful for us to get this, especially in the digital age where people are free in the comments and where they are saying things on the Internet that if they said in real life, it would be a situation. OK, like <laughs> you wouldn't be talking like that to me, to my face. OK, like <laughs> And I think we're living in a time where people feel very free to comment on yeah. everything about a person, everything about a community, everything about things they're not connected to or related to. And it would serve us to remember that that God's not cool with that. No, no. And I mean, I love this part. Right. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and yes. peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. That's it. And so things like suspending judgment, mm -hmm. things like deciding how everybody else should live. Yeah. Things like putting our expectations yeah. on other people. Yep. Those are things that are not love. That's right. But we sure haven't been taught that. No, <laughs> we haven't. We have mm -hmm. not. <laughs> and we have not been taught that. We haven't. And I, there's, I, there's I, one I'm just reading one of the comments is season mm -hmm. your words with salt. Yes. So good. Yes. Samantha, yes. so good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So true. This chapter wrecked me because um, it says in a in a little further down at the end, it says blessed is the one who does not consent, condemn himself by what he approves. Mm. And that hit me so hard because I am 
out there and loud and honest about what I think and what I feel and uh, my opinions about things. And I don't mean to impose them on others. They just, it's just what I believe, what I think. And I've realized that sometimes that becomes, you know, the thing that people measure themselves by because I am so strong and because I do have thoughts about what things are and what they should be. And sometimes people begin to take that on. And I love that it's encouraging us, like, don't be loud about all the things that you approve of, because then people get themselves under your standard. So if you have influence, what does it look like to cultivate freedom and life and joy and peace and a place where people are safe to be where they are, to believe what they believe, to champion the things that they love. They feel safe to do that in your presence. Yeah. That is the work of love. And that is a process for all of us to go on. And I think that you model that so well, Jasmine. I told you this in, in the time that we got to have you in my community, but you are so wonderful at suspending judgment and creating an environment for people to just be. And I love that about you. And I love that about this community because it's so few and far between that you find it. I'm grateful for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thank you so much for that. And, and, and it's honestly right because I've gone through my own journey. Totally. Yep. To your point, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you can be on either side. Yeah. And, um, and I, I know what, it is to be healed from a broken heart. I know what it feels like to have to change the way you think about yourself because of the way you've been enculturated. I, I, I know what all of that hard work is. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in so many ways, my my heart breaks, mm -hmm. you know? And so it, 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 it is that compassion um, that I have when when I see others suffering because I also don't want them to stumble. Right. You know? So I think that's where the the, the humility from me comes from. Mm -hmm. Is that I've just, I've just been there. I've been yes. there and and had to heal my own self. And so um, I I just just I just have a compassionate heart for people going through their thing, living out their life where wherever their life may be. And mm -hmm. if I can be a loving presence to them so they can actually feel the presence of God in the moment they encounter me. Yeah. Then I feel like I'm doing what I was put here to do. Yeah. And so I mean that doesn't mean I'm always great at it. <laughs> you know? But that's what I have a heart for. That's yes. what I have a heart for. But let me let me ask this one question before mm -hmm. we we start to, to shift. Is 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 there any one thing that mm -hmm. if 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 no one heard anything today that you want them to take away from this conversation, what would that be? I think it's that you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. And to fully come alive in your life and to fully become whole, and I don't mean perfect, I mean whole, where you feel this tenderness and you feel this connection to yourself and to God and to others, you need other people to experience that. And you giving love and receiving love, not in isolation, but with others is so critical to healing. Like it cannot yeah. be done without that. And I think that's yeah. what we want you to leave with. Like love yeah. is with others. <laughs> yeah. It's such an important thing to say right now when in, in our context, loneliness is at its greatest, um, highest levels. And so I appreciate you for saying that, that we don't shrink 
and go in our corners, but that we reach out and, and be a part of a community and be held in it. So I thank mm -hmm. you so, so much for that. And the, the God who makes us stand. I, I mean, I just remember how that hit me um, when I read it. So thank you for saying it again. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna transition us into our time of reflection. And I, I was thinking about this beautiful quote um, from Pat Keepert, no one learns from experience, one learns only from experience, one reflects upon and articulates. So mm -hmm. I hope that this is an invitation for us to reflect on all the things that we've heard um, and to start to articulate it in our conversation, in our prayers with God, mm -hmm. to be able to give voice um, to these things as we as we reflect on these experiences so that we can grow and learn. You know, this is an invitation to integrate, to learn, to reflect, to articulate our faith through love, yeah. to put the words into practice. And it is about increasing our awareness of God's presence in our lives and maturing spiritually through discernment and accountability. So I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable to just close your eyes, allow your day to come into view. Think about from the earliest moments when you woke up until the point where you are now, think about your day and allow it to unfold. Can we begin with, with gratitude? <laughs> for life, for breath, for strength, for being. And as we reflect on that gratitude and, and think of the things that we are most grateful for, is there a petition? Is there something that we might want God to bring to our attention? Mm. Is there something we can ask God to open our eyes and our hearts to so that we may see? Is there something we can ask God to speak into our hearts that we might be missing? If we look at our day, you know, without commentary or critique, mm. can we notice God's presence in it? Mm. Can we feel the moments of consolation when we felt like we were being drawn closer to God? Can we sense even viscerally the moments when we felt furthest away, those moments of desolation? Can you see the difference? Can you feel the difference? when you can feel and sense God's presence and God's love versus when you felt furthest away. Hmm. And then I invite you to lovingly hold yourself accountable for maybe for those moments when we talk about those cyclical patterns, maybe when you were a little short. Maybe you felt that you could have responded more lovingly. 
Can you offer yourself forgiveness? Is there mm. forgiveness that you also can give? The beauty is there is mercy yeah. for us and grace. Mm. And then more importantly, are there things we have to let go? Because love, when we are present, is an open invitation mm. to begin again. Mm. And as you sit and discern God's movement in your life, could you think about what might God be up to in your context? And how might you participate in that? How might you cultivate your love practice today? Mm. Never forget, love is a practice. What we practice, we become. Mm. Ashley, will you close us in prayer? Yes. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that in you, we can understand what it means to be present, what it means to be whole. And God, wherever people might be experiencing pain or disappointment or loss or grief, God, or unmet expectations, unfulfilled desires, Lord, I pray that you would meet them there now minister to them, comfort them, give them hope. God, help us to unlearn the things that we need to unlearn so that we can relearn how to love in a way that expands our hearts, expands our minds, makes our world bigger. God, I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for this beautiful community, Lord, and I pray that it would continue to flourish. God, that your protection would be over people on them, that you go before them, behind them, beside them, God, that you would cover them, that they would feel your love, they feel your warmth, they feel your presence, God, that they feel peace where they've been anxious, God, or scared, that they feel joy in places where it makes no sense to feel it, God, that you would give them patience in the moments, God, where they would have reacted differently in the past. God, help us in our ordinary daily life to experience love, to give love and to receive love. God, surround us with people who can love us and show us what it means to be loved and to give love. God, I thank you for Jasmine. I thank you for who she is, God, that you would continue to help this community flourish under her leadership, under her teaching, under her powerful sense of presence in this world, God. And I thank you for the way that you're leading her. And we bless this space in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, beautiful friend. Thank you. I love you and I love this community. I love you. Thank <laughs> you. Good night, everyone. We'll Bye. see you next month.